Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. I started off a little bit different this morning so we could kind of, you know where I'm going, but we're going to take a, a journey this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now here's a quick, some quick context for this story. What's happening, Matthew was written by a Jewish guy to a Jewish community trying to convince the Jewish people in the first century that Jesus was actually the Messiah. Hence, you have the Jewish audience. So when Matthew was writing, he was writing with the Jewish people in mind, and there was this thought, there was this teaching that if you give to the poor, if you give to the needy, that the more that you give, that then God is going to reward you at some point in the future. So if you have heard this teaching that if you give money or give alms, what they called it, to the poor, and then God is going to reward you, you can begin to think that all of a sudden people began thinking, well, I'm going to start giving more and more to the poor. Because if I give to the poor, then God is going to somehow reward me. I mean, you can begin to see how, how they could understand it that way, right? Am I right? If you know you're going to be rewarded, you're going to give to the poor. So I want to give you a modern-day example of what that might look like. Have any of you been to a church, and the person gets up, and they ask for the tithe and offering, and then they say something like this, what you give back to God, God will return to you tenfold, or maybe even a hundredfold. Now, I am no business professional, but I'm also no fool, and if I give 10%, whatever that 10% is, and God is going to bless me tenfold, that's a pretty good investment, right? Yeah, because even if you give a little, ten, I mean, $10 will give you $100. And so sometimes what happens when we give tithe, one of the reasons, one of the things that I always hear people say to someone else to encourage them to give tithe is that if you give tithe, then God is going to bless you. But the reality is, is if you start giving tithe for that reason alone, what you're really looking for is a good investment and more money for yourself. This is not a sermon about tithe. But you can begin to understand that sometimes in our religious life, in our life of spirituality, it's very easy to see that sometimes something good, like giving tithe, like giving to the poor and the needy, something good can become extremely bad and selfish when we do it in order to get something back from, from that. Does that make sense? Something good can often turn into be something bad. And so we come to the concept of reward. I was sitting in an ethics class in Riverside in a community college when I was um, trying to finish up my degree in four years, and so I had to take all sorts of other classes. So I was in this ethics class, and some, somehow, I don't remember what the conversation was about, but it ended up happening that some student says, you know, Christianity is based on a total reward system. You do something good so that then you can be saved and go to heaven. You do something good because then God is going to reward you. Well, all of a sudden, everybody in the class kind of chimed in and was like, yeah, that's true. We hate Christians. No, they didn't say that. I was sitting in the back, and I, I just remained silent because I figured if the majority of the class feels this way about Christians, I am not. 
going to say anything. I was, you know, 21 years old. I was afraid. But it's very easy to see that sometimes the way we Christians talk about this heaven and eternal life, the way we talk about our faith, sometimes to people looks like, well, the only reason you're doing this is because then you're going to get this. But the reality is, is that if this is salvation and eternal life, there is nothing you can do to really get that, can you? Because if there is something that you can do to get this eternal life, then there's a whole bunch of people who are not going to be able to get in if you do it on your own merit. And so for the ancient Jewish people, Jesus says, look, I understand that there was this teaching that you're going to be rewarded if you do good. And instead of Jesus saying, no, that's wrong, he just took what they already understood. And he says, when you give to the poor, but you do it to be seen by others, you will have no real reward. Your reward will simply be that people will just think you're holy. People will think that you are just a good person. And so I want to continue to, to go on and make this point and make it clear. You should give because you've already been rewarded. You shouldn't give or do something good in order to be rewarded, but rather you should give because you've already been rewarded with God's love, with God's grace that allows you to be a sinner and you still can have the assurance of salvation. This is a very tricky phrase. And I understand that for some of you, it might rub you the wrong way that I said that God's grace allows you to be a sinner and you still have the assurance of salvation. And yet it is true. Because you can look at your own life. I can tell you that with my whole heart and with my whole soul and my mind, I believe that I am saved and that I will enter into eternal life because of who God is and what he has done. I understand that there's nothing that I can do to get eternal life. And I can't teach that if you do something, you'll get eternal life. And somebody might say, well, yeah, Jesus does the initial saving, but you still have to show God you love him so that he knows. I'm sorry, but God knows whether I love him or not. And he's not going to base it on whether I do more good than bad. Because if we start getting into the, well, I do all of these bad things and all of these good things, then all of a sudden salvation becomes about how good I can be. And it totally misses the point of the death of Christ on the cross. You should give because you've been rewarded with love, with grace, and the gift of forgiveness that you may not deserve, and yet you are still forgiven. I've done things in my life where I don't deserve forgiveness from the people that I've hurt. And yet, they forgive me. That is God's way of showing love. He forgives you even if you don't deserve it. Here's the thing. There's, a, there's often the text that we hear where Jesus, you know, he forgives these people that are pretty bad. And then he says, okay, now go and sin no more. But did they stop sinning and be sinless from that point on? See, this isn't, an, uh, this isn't a way for you to feel like I can do whatever I want to whenever I want to. It's the fact that you will do and you will sin from now until the day that you die. Grace is that God forgives you when you do sin. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. But that's just the way that God chooses to show us 
that he loves us. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? It's a hard teaching because then when you look at somebody else and say, well, I get that, but they are still living this way, they surely must not understand what grace is all about. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever been the person that looks at somebody else and says, well, I know that they say they believe in Jesus, but they're living that way, so they must not really understand. But here's a trick or an insight that I want to give to you. If you look at somebody else, there's somebody else looking at you thinking that about you. Which is why humility is of the utmost importance where you understand and accept the fact that we are broken, fragile people desperately in need of the Savior who's already given us forgiveness. In the book, um, hidden, The Things Hidden by Richard Rohr, I want to read to you like a passage from there so you understand that we always are trying to gain God's favor. We're always trying to gain God's forgiveness on the television. I love watching these televangelists, not because I agree with them, but I'll be sitting there and, and Kim will be like, why are you watching that stuff? And I'm like, I don't know, I just can't help it. Like, I can't stand it, but I have to watch, you know? And, and there's this one guy who looks creepy as can be. Like, I wouldn't trust him. And that maybe I'm judging an, a, a book by its cover. But all he ever speaks about is if you sow this seed, then you're going to reap a huge harvest, meaning monetarily. Yeah, there's been times when I thought to myself, I could use a rich harvest. I could use that. And I'm not, and I'm say, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen for some people. When you do it with a willing heart, it's different than doing it because the guy on the television is telling you, you're going to get a rich reward for this. But what we find is that there's always this, well, if you do this, then you will find God's favor. If you read your Bible every single day, then you will, re then you will reap God's favor. If you give tithe and offerings, then you will receive a reward. If you do this, then God will love you. That's kind of how we live our lives. We may not teach it, but it's, it's intrinsic to the way the world works. Let me give you an example before we read this. When you're in school, everything is based on how well you complete assignments. Is that true? Teacher doesn't say, good effort, A. She says, good effort, but you still earned a B or a C or a D. It's based on how well you can do. And so what ends up happening is that in the relationships that we get into, it's about how good we can be to the other person that makes us a good person or a bad person. And what begins to happen in our lives and even in our jobs, the better you perform, the more you will be promoted. But if you do badly, what happens? You get fired. You get let go sometimes. What happens is in our lives, that is the pattern that you have to do good in order to get something. But for the scriptures, that's not the case at all. And let me show you what I mean. Richard Rohr says this, in most ancient religions, God was felt to be controllable through human sacrifice found on all continents. Around the time of Abraham, the sacrificial instinct matures a bit and gets transferred to the poor goats, sheep, and bullocks sacrificed to please their fearsome God. I still saw it in Africa, in India, and in Nepal when I visited those places. But civilized cultures have pretty much transmuted it into various forms of self-sacrifice and moral heroics. Because we all know that something has to be sacrificed to bend this God towards us. What he is saying, he's kind of being tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic here. 
He's saying that's the pattern it's always been. We sacrifice, we give, we killed animals. And, and for some societies, they killed little kids, innocent children. He says, and so that's the pattern that people have set up wrongly or rightly. He says, but what happens is now we don't kill animals. Now we don't, you know, we obviously don't kill animals and we obviously don't sacrifice children to appease God. He says, but we do other things to try to bend God towards us so that if I'm good, then God will be good to us. Let me give you an example. Have you ever known somebody who something horribly bad happens to them in their lives and then they think, I wonder what I did to deserve this? Sometimes, I mean, we do things, all of us do things that, that lead us somewhere. But to think that God is doing something bad to punish you is not necessarily correct understanding of the scriptures. Because the opposite of that is, I must be good so that God will do good for me. And yet the scriptures are clear that God causes the sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. Another way of saying it is God gives life to good people and bad people. The point is that if you're trying to be good to get God to do something for you, you you're just trying to manipulate God into getting your way. If you have kids and a kid throws a fit, do you want to give him what he wants? No. I mean, it's easier. <laughs> but no. But if your son or daughter does really good for a week and they take out the trash and they do the dishes and, you know, they pick up and they do all those sorts of things and then they ask you for something, are you inclined to give them what they want? <laughs> they just manipulated you guys. Do you see that something that's very intrinsic in children becomes rooted in who you are as an adult, and then you transfer those emotions to God, and then we try to manipulate God. That is wrong. God is not some cosmic Santa Claus that if you're good, he'll give you something good, and if you're bad, you won't. Kids are bad all the time, and we still give them stuff at Christmas, so that's not even true. But God cannot be and will not be manipulated. Oh, no, manipulated. Okay, I'm going to leave that picture up for a second. Just because this fan is wearing the jersey and the helmet and some horses <laughs> and war paint, apparently, doesn't make him a part of the team. Just because it looks like he could maybe play doesn't mean that he's suiting up to play on the field. Just because outwardly he looks like he's good to go, it doesn't mean that he actually can. You see, when Jesus says, for those who give in order to be rewarded, what he's saying is they may look like they're doing all of the right things, all of the right, you know, all of the right things at the right time. He goes, but the motive behind these people that are giving to be seen by others is the wrong motivation. And so there's another more common day example. In the last and what I, the illustration I'm going to give has nothing to do with politics. It just has to do with how people see things. In the last presidential election, there was this huge controversy about one of the candidates um, not wearing a flag pin at some point. Okay, I'm sure you, if you ever watch the, the TV entertainment news channel, they're entertainment, they're not real news, but if you ever watched any of those, there was this huge controversy about a pin. 
That person must not be patriotic if he's, wear, if he's not wearing the flag pin, to which I kind of had to stand back and think to myself, have we as a country reduced a person's thoughts, wills, patriotism to a pin you wear on a lapel? Guess what? I'll wear a lapel of every other country in the world. I don't care. It doesn't mean that I subscribe to that. Do you get my drift? They made a huge deal about something that was external. And I think that we do that sometimes. And sometimes people will do things on the outside so that people will think, that's a good person. They must really be holy and faithful. But it doesn't mean that the inside has the substance or the content. Does that make sense? Do not get caught up on the external of a person because you will judge wrongly every single time. If I stood up in church in a pair of jeans and a polo shirt, which is what I always wear, (laughs) a lot of you might have a problem with that because a pastor wears a suit and a tie to preach. But does that make sense to anybody? It's clothes. It's covering me all the same. It's made out of the same fabrics. It's just a different style. We cannot get caught up on the externals of a person. We must go deeper than that because if we don't, we will judge wrongly every single time. If you are doing your religious things and your faith, if you're just practicing it on the outside because you don't want people to see the inside, it's not carrying very much weight. So I want to give some context. And I don't know if I skipped the verse, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. For truly, I say to you, they, will, they, they have received their reward. Now, who in the world would sound trumpets when they do and give to the needy? Do you do that? So Jesus was like, what are you talking about? Like, everybody was like, and it sounds weird, except that maybe what Jesus meant was in the temple in the first century, they had these collection buckets, but they didn't look anything like our wooden ones. They actually looked, they were shaped in a trumpet, in in like a shofar, the, the important trumpet. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you give to the poor, you don't have to give it from that far. Because that perhaps was the sound that it would have made. Jesus says, when you give to the poor, do not do it like the hypocrites do who make a big deal and drop their coins. Because what's the difference if you just go like this? Or give a dollar and it won't make any noise. For Jesus, he says, if that's why you're giving, first of all, your reward is some people may think that you're righteous. But the reality is, is that most of us can see through your act and think that you're just a hypocrite. Because what you want is for me to think that you're holy, but in reality, I just think you're all show. I think that we all do that sometimes. I think that for so many of us, we have been taught that the external actions that we do are what people are going to see and what we will be judged by. 
But the truth is, is that if we do things and we're not motivated by love, then it doesn't really count. And I know that that's hard for us to hear because, I mean, there's been so many times in my life where perhaps I did this, where I've done these sorts of things, where I do things because that's what's expected of me, or I do things because I need to show that inside I'm a sinner, but I don't want you to see that, so I'm going to do this. But the fact is that when we are in church, church is the place where we don't have to act like we have it all together. According to the Bible, we are told that we must bear one another's burdens, your sin, your darkness, your failures. Instead of pointing the finger and judging at that person, we are supposed to come alongside each other and say, I have my own junk. So I know what that feels like, and I'm going to walk alongside you until we get past this. The church should not be a place of judgment. It should be a place of healing, of reconciliation, and of protecting one another. And so we go on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That was Jesus' way of saying, keep it on the down low, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is not, again, Jesus was understanding their logic of why they give, and so he just plays into it and says, okay. But he doesn't say that your reward will be monetary. He doesn't say what the reward is. Maybe the reward is that when you give and you live authentically and you do it without of a genuine heart, perhaps your reward is just peace. How many of you need peace in your lives? I mean, there is drama, anxiety constantly and for those of you who are in high school, it doesn't go away after high school. Drama is always there. Perhaps when we learn to give with a genuine loving heart, what we find is just peace. Peace. Knowing that we are living in the will of God. For Jesus, everything we do comes down to the motivation behind it. And we're going to be wrapping up here pretty quickly. For Jesus, everything comes down to the motivation behind what we're doing. And so when we look at Corinthians chapter 3, 13, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. What does it say? Can you read it with me? Can you read it out loud, I mean? Tongue of men of angels. Ah, that's bad. Let me try something else. If you're talking, all you hear is this. If somebody you know who is trying to do good things, but you know that the motivation behind it is something other than love, all you hear is this, right? They can say whatever they want to, but all I'm hearing is this. Noise. Muddled. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am what? I'm just noise. I'm just a noisy gong. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, almsgiving, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I do not have love, I have gained nothing. He's saying if I give my life up, but I'm not doing it out of love, 
There is nothing. I have nothing. If what you are doing isn't out of love, people see it. So I'm going to end with a story, I think. No, I'm going to end with this text and then a story. <laughs> Jesus says to the religious people, this was to the religious people. Jesus, most of Jesus' talking in the scriptures was to religious people who had it the wrong, had the wrong understanding of the scriptures. He says, if they, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And so I want to just show you a story. This is a modern day picture. Please do not, what I'm saying, do not transfer to our Jewish brothers and sisters. This, the Jewish people in the first century are different than they are today. But if you look, a phylactery is the, you see the thing on his arm? And then there's boxes up on here, and they would have like the Torah or the laws of Moses on there, the Ten Commandments. And it's one of these ritual things that they went through. In the, in the, in the first century, it was different than this, a little bit different. But what he's saying is they make their phylacteries big, so they had these big wooden boxes on their foreheads or on their arms or on their hands kind of to show, like, look how big mine is. It, may, it means that I am more spiritual. Or they have these fringes, and I, I think there's a laser. Oh, here we go. See these things right here? Okay, so the understanding, if you remember in the Old Testament, they, uh, the, the Israelites would have, and especially the priests, would have these fringes on the ends of their clothes on the edge of their clothes, on the corners, to kind of signify that everywhere they walk is holy ground. Okay? And so Jesus says, these, these religious people, they have big boxes and they have these big fringes on their clothes. Again, it was different than this picture, but this was the best I could find. He says, they do that so that people will think that they are more holy, that they are better than everybody else. They love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi or teacher by others. <laughs> if you are doing things so that people will think that you are a good Christian, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Jesus says, let your light shine so that others would see your good works and so they would gl give glory to you, or so that they will give glory to who? People know when you do something out of a genuinely loving heart. And this is the story that I'm ending with. I once knew a man who had a lot of money. And he always spoke with honey. So his words were always kind. His words made people feel good. But behind the scenes, he was going to work to get rid of people or to hurt them or to discredit them. I know this because I was there behind the scenes listening, trying to put out fires. And he would know when somebody needed something, like a refrigerator because they were moving or a stove or something. And he had a lot of money, so he would say, I am going to donate this much money so that we can buy them what they need, but I want it to come from the church. Well, that's not anonymous. We know exactly who it's coming from. What ended up happening is that this person continued to do these sorts of things. But all the people would see is, what is he really trying to get? What is his ulterior motive behind this? He was doing good things. But because of the pattern that he followed, we all would always take a step back and think, what do you want from us? Maybe we don't want to accept this gift. You see, what ends up happening is that you can fake it that you're a good Christian and that you love Jesus and that you love each other, but people see if it's really true. 
So here's what I would ask. If I were to ask your family, your friends, do they really love Jesus by the way you see them interact in the real world? Because this is not the real world, friends. Church is the place where we all keep it safe. People will see your motivations. People will see the motive behind what you do. And if you do it simply so that you can look like you are a good Christian or, that, or, or, or you don't want somebody to think, oh, that person isn't really a sinner. They're not really a Christian. If you're doing it to hide who you are, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. To truly love sometimes means that you kind of have to die to yourself and put to death all of the selfishness, put to death all of the ego, put to death you wanting to be right. When you practice your spirituality through the giving of tithe, through coming to church, through prayer, ask yourself, am I doing this out of love? Is the love of God compelling me to do this, or are you doing this because you want attention and validation? One people, Jesus calls hypocrites. The other person, Jesus calls disciple. Which one will you be? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, um, we always wrestle with your words because they pierce us so deeply that it cuts us. As we continue to work on being the person that you have called us to be, our prayer, Lord, is that you would give us eyes to see where we have stumbled. Our prayer is that you would help us to see where we need to change and where we need to surrender ourselves to you so that when people see the good that we do, that they would only give you glory, that what we do would only point to you. God, help us to continue to transform us to be that person that you need us to be. We know, Lord, we've fallen so short and we're so far away from who you are have created us to be, but this is our prayer, and we need your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.